Welcome, or welcome everyone to Common Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim today, who is in Princeton, New Jersey, speaking with the um, <clears throat> some of the students at Princeton University that have invited him up to talk about some of the aspects of God's character and some of the unique perspective that we had. So we want to uh, wish him well in our prayers uh, over the weekend. I'd like to begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day that you've given us, another day of life, another day of rest. Uh, thank you for giving us this one day in seven for what it represents and what it says about uh, you being a God of truth and love and freedom. Please guide our study today uh, and give us uh, a better understanding uh, about your character and uh, the milk versus the solid food of the gospel. Leave with those of our group who are not with us today and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying lesson number five, sequential evangelism and witnessing. First of all, this, this idea of sequential evangelism, what, what comes to mind when, when you think of sequential evangelism? Wendell. Manipulation. <laughs> exactly. That was the first thing that I thought of. There's a sales technique called progressive disclosure. It's basically the same thing. We try to... Ideally, we try to bring them in with comfortable truths and with um, uh, a message that they can assimilate and handle, and we try to meet their needs and meet them where they are. And as they grow, we should be unveiling um, greater truths and answering questions and, and displaying uh, Christ-like characters in ourselves in the hopes of um, uh, seeing their character transformed as well. The memory text for a Sabbath uh, is First uh, Corinthians three two. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. What what does that mean? If I fed you with milk and not with solid food, any thoughts? He doesn't throw us into the deep end of the pool first. Okay. Paul didn't throw the Corinthians in the deep end of the pool. What, what, what's, the, what's the deep end of the pool? So that he approaches with the concepts that they can wrap their minds around and begin there and grow the relationship. Okay. That's fair. He, he met them where they were, met their needs. Any other thoughts? The lesson, uh, the, the, the key thought for Sabbath lesson right below the memory text is in all evangelism and witnessing, it is important that we first present the simple truth of the gospel. My first thought was, okay, what's the simple truth of the gospel? God is love. Um, I agree. Couldn't agree more. I think that is the, in, a, in its condensed form, that is a, a succinct way of, of stating the gospel, yes. I think that's important for two reasons, because you're starting with a more simple basic concept, but that is the fundamental concept from which everything else has to develop. And if we can't tie everything else that we develop, every other more um, advanced concept back to that simple truth, there's a problem. And in my own experience, my own spiritual experience, that has been a problem because I had truths out here that were kind of compartmentalized, but hard to tie back to that very simple concept, God is love, like some of the things we've talked about before. You know, I love you, but at some point I'll have to kill you. Well, that doesn't really tie back well. So I think there's two reasons that we have to hang on to the 
simple truth of the gospel. No, I agree, and, and we're we're getting into Tuesday's lesson, or excuse me, Monday's lesson. Um, but we're going to come back to that, and and I, I think you're dead right. The the simple truth of the gospel is God's love, and if we don't build on that foundation, you know, Christ said, you know, I I'm the cornerstone, you know, that. And the gospel is built on that cornerstone of Christ. Well, what did he come to reveal? That God is love. Could it not be? It kind of connects with what you just said. Is It's an extension of catching people where they're at. Taking people where they're at. So you may have a, a misperception of who God is, but it's taking that and bringing people along. Not that you mis- mislead people, but you take them where they're at. Yes, oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, if if we encounter someone who we're having a discussion with, and they they talk about a, a certain principle or a certain doctrine that conflicts with the loving God, you know, that still still may be uh, it's still valuable to um, interject that and, and, and question them, ask them some open opening questions. Well. How, how does that reveal a loving God? You know, how does how does God burning us in hell for eternity? How, how is that? You know, is that is that a loving God, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, you know, we can we can take and, and dissect every doctrine that we're exposed to with 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 that scalpel. Um, Sunday's lesson: sequential evangelism and felt needs. Um, what what uh, what are some felt needs that we might have? Can anyone identify some felt needs? Acceptance, um, okay, as a as a a need that someone feels, they need to feel the need of acceptance. Anything else? Purpose of us being here on this earth, you know, I mean, just why am I here? And okay, in, in the bigger cosmic sense, you know, what what's this all about? All right, that, that's that's certainly a felt need. Um, or about some simpler ones. Recovery after the tornadoes. Okay, yeah, absolutely. What what now? I, I've had a trauma. I've had a disaster. Where 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 are things going to go? How about hunger? You know, a, a, a decent bed to sleep in. Yeah, warm clothing. Yes. Hope. Hope. Okay, that that's sometimes a felt need and an unfelt need. I think that can go into both categories. Uh, what? Well, what are some maybe some unfelt needs? Realizing the value that God has placed in you and on you as His child—that your individual value is not determined unless you let it be by those around you or those who have, you know, external criticisms. To find the value and worth of the individual in the awesomeness of God's love, as well as sometimes it's a matter of balancing the value if one has too high of an esteem with uh, the the price that, that Christ paid for you because He loves you completely. Okay, that's a good one. That's one I hadn't thought of. Thank you. Any, any other perhaps unfelt needs? Yes. Sometimes in our mistaken um, opinion of who God is and what God is, we do not feel that we need Him. Mm. Exactly. I was going to along those lines. Sometimes we don't; we're not aware of our need to be able to trust. 
Right. I, I think sometimes hope hope can be an unfelt need. I think sometimes the uh, need for acceptance can be unfelt or, or perhaps unidentified. Um, any other? Yes. Kind of explaining this felt need, I, I think something that help, helps me look at it is I heard a story one time of a, of a gentleman that has a, a unique way of reaching people with the gospel. And he portrayed our typical evangelism where we have this big meeting and people come and we have a special speaker and whatever. This, if you think about it, what state must your life be in for you to be willing to go to somebody that you don't know to hear what they're going to say about something like this, assuming you, you are of another Christian faith or whatever, what does it take for you to, to remove the barriers within yourself to do that? You've got to be pretty, pretty low. So I, there, there, is, there must be you know, need in order to do that, but that may be not the most effective way to reach people. Hmm. Interesting. You only catch them when, you know... You wouldn't even tell your friends that you're going to these meetings, you know, because right. um, you know you're you're just trying to survive. It's hmm. interesting thought. I hadn't uh, I hadn't gone down that road either. Thank you. Um, the the lesson uh, talks about the experience uh, in Luke where um, uh, Jesus feeds the five thousand. Uh, someone read Luke nine verses ten through seventeen, please. Shout it when you when you have it. Luke nine ten through seventeen. The apostles came back and told Jesus everything they had done. He took them with him to a city called Bethsaida, so that they could be alone. But the crowds found out about this and followed him. He welcomed them, talked to them about the kingdom of God, and cured those who were sick. Toward the end of the day, the twelve apostles came to him, and they said to him. Send the crowd to the closest villages and farms so they can find some food and a place to stay. No one lives around here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go to buy food for all these people, that's all we have. There were about 5,000 men. Then he told his disciples, Have them sit in groups of about 50. So they did this. Through 15? Through uh, 17. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed the food. He broke the loaves apart and kept giving them to the disciples to give to the crowd. All of them ate as much as they wanted. When they picked up the leftover pieces, they filled 12 baskets. All right. Um, Let's talk about the group that was listening to Christ. What were some of the felt needs uh, in that group? Eventually, hunger. Before that, uh, those that were in need of physical healing, um, they, they, they wanted to be healed. Um, what about some of the unfelt needs? In verse 11, Christ welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Do we think that? Do we think that uh, some in that crowd had no idea of their need to hear about the kingdom of God? They must have felt something, or they wouldn't have been there. Well, they, they sure they felt some need. They either physical healing or curiosity, or curiosity, or um, 
Nothing else to do. Let's go listen to this guy. They might have gotten drug along by a friend and had yeah. no idea. Other than the friend uh, recommended. Exactly. Let's go for a hike. Hey, what are they doing? Um, <coughs> they the need for for the the spiritual food, the the manna from heaven, may have met an an unfelt need. It may have touched some part of them that they didn't they didn't realize that they needed. Yes. We're told that we have an inside hunger that we that's never filled until we find God. And that we may not know that's our need, but that may be. You know, we're looking for something, we keep trying to find what we believe in. Hmm. Any other thoughts? I think we all have un- uh, needs that we aren't aware of constantly all the time. And every now and then you'll hear something and say, wow, I, I needed that and I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, huh. all you have to do is watch uh, a local news channel or a national news program to, to know, to realize that humanity is humanity searching for something. And, you know, the, the, the big picture, they're, they're, they're looking for something. They're looking for answers to maybe unasked and certainly unanswered questions. Uh, there, there are some felt and unfelt needs, yes. The religious system that had been developed at that time was made in response to both history and needs and everything else, and that truly was not satisfying. And if, and if anything, it added burdens to their lives. And to see someone who came along and not only met the needs that they felt, but also the needs that were being put on their shoulders by the system that was in place, you know, was obviously a, a, a wonderful realization. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Um, the, uh, let's see, the message, let's see, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Uh, I'll go ahead and read this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Let's stop for a minute. What, what is going to determine what group goes on which side? Our deeds. Choice. Is it possible we'll be moving from one side to the other? I mean, we'll we'll move to one the the side, the group, the attitude that we feel the most comfortable with. I, I think by that time, decision will be made. Will have been made. Uh, right, what I mean is, still, our mindset will still be functioning for where we're comfortable where we're drawn to, where we're, what we're attracted to. The question of whether that inner heart that's born in, self, born in sin and born selfish has been able to make that connection and healing of becoming an unselfish heart regarding reflecting God's unselfish love. Seems like the fulfillment of character development. Okay, the scripture says that he, meaning Christ, 
will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. So he, he's going to he's going to separate them. What what's, what determines whether you're a sheep? Or <laughs> Thank you. It, what determines what side you're on is which character has already been developed and which by it which choices have been made uh, by which. Um, Entreaties of the Holy Spirit have been ignored. What's going to determine who's on the right and on the left is whether or not you're a sheep or a goat. And it's not going to be an arbitrary choice. Why Christ is going to, you know, number people off odds and evens. Okay, you guys here, you guys here. The determination will be made long ahead of time. The, the decision will have already been made whether or not you're a sheep or a goat. He's just going to simply make a correct and accurate diagnosis of the condition. All right, moving on. Uh, the king, then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? King will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothing, or sick or in prison and did not help you? Then he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteousness to eternal life. Righteous to eternal life. What fascinates me about this passage, well, there are several things that fascinate me about, about this passage, but one of the things that really gets me is that neither the sheep or the goats, neither the righteous or the unrighteous, realize that what they've been doing is either in harmony or out of harmony with uh, the character and law of God. Both both groups say, "Well, when do we when do we see you hungry or clothed or, or uh, naked or in prison? When do we help you?" I don't know that it's so much out of character as it is recognizing when God sees things as meeting His His divine need or placement of either himself or, or other other created beings um so i don't know so much character as in the individual manifesting the character of god to others okay yeah i'm 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 fine with that it, it just it just strikes me as a little odd that um that, ne- that neither group gets it or neither group seems to get it i mean if we're if we're operating in harmony with god's ways and methods and principles you know we we should love our neighbors as ourselves and and that's that sort of outgrowth uh, of of that character being developed we're going to do these things but they don't seem to have any recall of it and I, drew you had a your hand was first yeah i was just going back to that first part where you read i'm just is there a difference in how sheep act versus how goats act because that seems to be the the parallel 
that goes right on through this. Like you were saying, neither of them knew that they did anything right or wrong. They were just acting out their lives. But one of them was in harmony with what God's character is of self-denial and self-sacrifice and giving, lifting other people up and so forth. Are goats more headstrong and they just aren't you know, more selfish? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't... Um, I'm not, I don't either. Uh, anyone who uh, has uh, raised sheep or goats on Facebook, whatever, <laughs> call in, please. Yes. Well, going back to the point before, when I had read and thought about that particular passage before, I had always thought of it in the context, but I think that comes from a lot of background that... It says all the nations are going to gather, be gathered before him. And in the particular translation that I'm reading, that he's going to separate them and he will cause them to be separated. But I'm thinking back to when uh, Moses is describing the response from Pharaoh. I think when God calls all of the nations before him, there may be just a natural separation by the people that are bickering and judging and not wanting to have anything to do with the people that they didn't clothe and feed before, so they'll kind of gather on one side. And the people who were loving and accepting and were nurturing and caring, they're just, we did that in groups. We, we kind of are gathered that way in groups. And I think the people who say, Lord, when did we feed you? That's just a more manifestation of their humble spirit. They didn't do it for any purpose other than service and probably don't even remember, oh, oh, there was somebody that I did this for. Because that is just so a part of their nature that to have God point that out, they're going to go, why would you point that out? That's just who we are. Okay, I think, thank you. That's a great point. I've got three hands. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Oh, she, okay. Wendell. Both groups were doing what they thought was right. Hmm. But both groups understood themselves to be doing what they intellectually thought was correct. They didn't have insight as to what they were doing, but they both intellectually were, were thought they were doing what was correct. And so it, it, that, I think, is where we have to have an external standard mm. by which we compare ourselves. You know, many people love to throw out the law or love to throw out this or love to throw out that because they feel that it's unnecessary or whatever. And yet, those external forms of assessment is what helps us, gives us insight. And through God's Spirit, we are given insight you know, whenever Christ talked to Nicodemus, he said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't even comprehend it. Hmm. And so um, often we take that and say, oh, you can't get to heaven. No, you can't even understand it right. without the Spirit of God being in your life. Well said. Uh, toward the back? Yeah. Sure. Um, I was more going off of what the lady up there said before. Um, I'm just thinking about how honestly it's by beholding we become changed. And as she said, it becomes just a natural flow. You don't consciously even think about it because as you are beholding Christ and just being changed by his love, it comes out naturally and it just happens. So of course they don't remember because it's become part of just who they are as God has changed them and their focus is on him. Uh, another good point. Um, 
I got you in the back. In just a second, Carl. Yes. Uh, a similar passage is in uh, Matthew 7, uh, 7.21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who uh, do the will of my Father. And many will say unto me, Lord, if we not prophesied in thy name, uh, if we not cast out many devils, they did the works. Right. They did the, the things that they were supposed to do. But God says, well, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And that kind of dovetails with you know with Wendell, and and also with you know, when Christ said, the time will come that those who will kill you will think that you're, they're doing God's work. Okay, that they they'll be so out of harmony with God's character that they will want to kill His messengers and think that they're doing the world a service. Yes, Chris in Alaska um, makes the comment that it's also a separation at the second coming versus the third and the final resurrection. And he asked the question, is that the reward of the pre-investigative judgment? Well, first of all, good morning uh, in Alaska. That's a, that's a long... Um, he asked, is that the reward of the pre-investigative judgment? Well, Chris, uh, I probably should have qualified some things before. Have you ever heard the, the statement, there's no such thing as a bad question? The the definition of a good question is one I know the answer to. <laughs> that was not a good question. <laughs> I, I'm I'm tongue in cheek. All, you know, all, all kidding aside, um, the the diagnosis. Uh, first of all, I think this this scene that's being set here is at the at the second coming of 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 Christ. Reward versus outcome would be a different way to look at it. So if he's thinking about it as reward, it would, it, it would in a sense be a reward of um, the individual that has chosen to walk with, with God and take on God's character, but uh, not necessarily um, doing it out of that selfish motive. So it, yes, a reward, but a natural outcome of. Hmm. You know what? Let me rephrase that. I think this is not at the second coming. I think this is actually at the return after the millennium when people are finally, when all, everyone is, is resurrected one way, one way or the other. Where scripture tells us that at the second coming, the wicked on earth will be dis- destroyed by the brightness of his coming. And the righteous who are living will be caught up to meet him in the clouds. And the righteous who have, have died uh, will be resurrected. To, to spend, you know, the thousand years in heaven first. I believe this scene is at the return of the new Jerusalem to earth and where the wicked are resurrected, and then the final, the final diagnosis, the, quote, judgment uh, is being made. Verse 46 kind of makes that clear. Um, yes, verse 46, that they will depart to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. Yes. Thinking about why some didn't recognize, you know, that they had done this. I think of Tim's comment where he says, "When our mind is renewed, when our heart is renewed and restored to the way it was, love will be as natural to us as breathing." And who has to get up every morning and go, "Okay, breathe. Okay, breathe again." Mm-hmm. And I think when love becomes so natural to us as breathing, as you know, existing when it is just a part of our natural existence, we don't single out in our mind individual acts of love. Right. So I think of they're they're probably looking at God, going, "Well, we were breathing too, but you can't right. point that out." No, that's a great point. I mean, who remembers the first breath they took this morning? 
I mean, you don't recall it, yes. Um, this comment was brought out several months ago in class, but the parable of the ten virgins, mm-hmm. five virgins that were prepared, Ellen White states that the oil in their lamp, that they were prepared and had extra oil, is represented by their character. That's why they were prepared. So it was nothing they could give away. You can't give away your character. So the five that were prepared, their character was such that they could go through. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was just absolutely phenomenal because that's the only way we can be prepared. And that's the only thing we can take with us to heaven is our character. Right. Yes. Chapter 25 has several instances of the two groups. starts out with... Uh, five wise, five foolish virgins, and then the two different groups that you read about earlier, the sheep and the goats. Mm -hmm. And I think you had an earlier question, you know, where did these come from? You know, how did they originate? If you go back to chapter 24, there are two groups of, I'll just call them teachers, that are represented. Uh, One is referred to as the false Christs and false prophets, and then the other one that is represented by the good servant, the faithful servant. And so chapter 24 sets it up ahead of 25, where you have two different ways of learning, two different uh, ways of that the, the people are teaching. We're drinking from two different wells. Hmm. Okay. Th- thank you for providing some more context. Yes. I just wanted to say that I think that the Holy Spirit plays a really big role, if not the, the greatest role, because those who follow and obey just because they want to follow the law aren't really following the law because the law is spiritual. And so the Holy Spirit is the only one that can bring to us the love that we're talking about because the Holy Spirit is the one who can change and transform lives. And so now when somebody obeys or when they follow, um, they do it out of love. And so there's a difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit. And um, I think that it's not possible without the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of times, um, sometimes we, um, we, we, we don't give credit to the Holy Spirit when he, he does all the work. And, it, you know, in these times that we're living in, I think it's important that the Holy Spirit, you know, really be prayed for and, and looked after because without that, there's no way that we can... Um, that we can be a part of the sheep. Because that's, that's, I think, a really big defining mark. Is the Holy Spirit there or is he not? And, and so rejecting the Holy Spirit would cause someone to simply obey because they want to follow rules or because, you know, this is the right thing to do. But the Holy Spirit will have someone, I love to do this, I want to serve, I want to, you know, um, do the will of God. Uh, thank you. I think that's a great point. <clears throat> Let's move on to Monday's lesson. We're going to get more into milk and the solid food. <clears throat> I've listed uh, eight or ten concepts that Christians typically deal with. And it's by no means inclusive. Um, but I just want to examine some of them uh, and determine whether or not we, we think they're milk or, or whether they're solid food. Um, these are not in any particular order either. So the first one I had was the reliability of Scripture. Is that concept uh, one of milk, or is it one of more solid food? I heard solid food. Anyone think it's milk? 
Milt? Okay. Are you ready to explain or defend your answer? <laughs> I, I don't have a I don't have a right or wrong. Tell me tell me why why you think it's uh, it's milk. Well, everything is based on that. So if we don't have uh, a belief in scripture, then everything that we read in there is irrelevant because there's no way to there's no standard to base that on. So it, it would have to have some kind of basis to begin our our study. So it needs to be early food, huh? It's the milk element to establish the foundation. Mm -hmm. More solid food because I think, in particularly in modern day culture, the Bible is under major attack as far as being a legitimate source of inspiration, of divine inspiration. And I think there is a very well um, developed case for that, which I would consider more solid food. Okay. What about, yes, sir? That comes down to who you trust. And the more you trust, the more you can understand the validity of something. And that is an ongoing thing. So you may have a very small appreciation for how, where this is from or whatever. Whereas in an experienced Christian life, you, that may be a foundation that you sink your soul on. But that's because you, you trust over a period of lifetime. Is uh, is a belief in the reliability of the Bible necessary? Theoretically, no. Or yes and no. We pointed out, uh, and Tim had pointed out prior classes, that there will be individuals in heaven who have never seen or known the Bible. That they simply learned of God and his incredible character through nature, through things around them and develop that trust relationship. So again, coming down to who do you trust. If you, are, if you have the, the blessing of having exposure to Scripture and having that available to you, then yes, it can become a foundational component in your relationship as you read and grow in it. But there will be those saved that never had that opportunity. So is Scripture itself uh, says that everything that we know about God has been revealed through what has been made. But in, the, in education, we, we have the concept of different avenues of reaching people. Like, you know, some kids learn better through hearing. Some people, some kids learn better through manipulating items. Some people, kids learn better through seeing. Some kids learn better through a combination. I think that, that all of these things are just showing that God is a masterful teacher, and he gave us many different avenues for reaching into a very diminished brain. Hmm. Uh, Carla? Uh, yes, uh, Nella DeWall says the Bible has become a nominal book, and do we know how to defend its validity? The Bible has be has become a nominal book. A nominal do, book. Do we know how to defend yeah. its validity? Yeah. Um, do do we necessarily have to? Uh, is my question. Uh, I, I think we've we've. We've just we've just examined that, and okay, it's scripture that says this, so you can you can take that or leave it. But um, you know the 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 first book of nature reveals what's needed to be known about God that, that He's loving, that He's giving, that He's powerful. Um, so we 
we may find ourselves in situations where we do need to defend scripture and we may not we may not need to actually defend it yes okay. um back off of what someone else said just the whole idea of scripture not absolutely having to be needed um there are martyrs right now in other countries who have never seen the bible who are suffering currently but they've seen the spirit of god they've seen the love of god and that's what's transforming people and god i think uses the bible to transform people to present who he is in character and spirit and in love not that these people wouldn't mind having the bible they would love to have it but there are many stories of those by just seeing them willing to die for who they believe God is transforms them and wins them over to Christ. Right, and I think that dovetails nicely with what uh, the other young lady said about the the power and the in the force and the work of the Holy Spirit transforming character if if we allow it. And, and also uh, what was mentioned about um, the Bible being yet another tool that God has given us to reveal His character. He, he's He's tried everything. He's given us He's given us all we need. Uh, you know, and yeah, again, I, I, being a, I'm not sure that it's correct to say that it's a nominal book. Well, I think the point that she's making is that society is is diminished has diminished its importance, and and, yeah. and, and the general perception uh, is is increasing that it's it's just a uh, uh, society has done that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Look at well, all the other things that society is doing which doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right thing to do. Right. No, I, I agree. But I, I don't think that the caller uh, was suggesting that, in her opinion, is a nominal book. I think she's she's suggesting that people she encounters consider it a nominal book, and she's wondering, you know, if or how it can be defended. Yes. Understanding that, the, as you were saying, the first book of nature tells us about God's love. If you had an individual and you had someone that you fell absolutely in love with, but it was a distant relationship, and they sent you a letter, would you leave that on the table and not open it? Would you not want to go to that letter that they sent you out of incredible love and just pour into and learn more about that that individual that you had started to grow to love and wanted to just deepen that relationship? So when you look at the Bible in that context, that it has so much for you that's been sent to you out of a God with a loving heart to understand more about history, to understand more about your present, to also understand what was coming in the future, wouldn't you want to take the time to pour over that love letter? And in that regard, as people realize this, it no longer becomes a nominal book. It becomes a pivotal book. I, I agree. And the, the key point you made is that uh, it's a letter from a loving God. Uh, I was reading some atheist uh, material earlier in the week. They described God as a capricious, arrogant, what was the word they used? Capricious, arrogant, manipulative bully. How How can atheists do that? Because by definition, an atheist wouldn't accept or believe in God. They They reject... They reject the God of the Old Testament. They reject the God of Scripture as, as a capricious, arrogant bully, manipulative bully. So they, they, they take that God concept and say, if that's God, there is no God. So they believe a lie. Yeah. They believe a lie, yes. 
Now that DeWall says people are looking at Christianity today and they're having no interest in the Bible because of what we're representing to the world. I, I think that's a valid point. Uh, let's see, I have a lot of hands, yes. Well, I think uh, several different things. I mean, kind of just, we got on a quick roll of different topics right there. But going back to whether Bible is a nominal book or not, you still have to choose whether you want to believe that it's, you know, just a, a set of fables that have been told from generation to generation, or if it's actually a word of God of someone you want to get to know. And that's a decision and a choice that you have to make. Now, is it crucial that you understand and know the Bible to understand the character of God? I don't think so. I think we see that in nature. And, you know, everyone through the Old Testament, you know, besides this, the books of Moses, they didn't have anything. I mean, it was, so you, you've got to realize that, you know, you can understand God's character just in nature. And then you, you take it, a, you know, just, I don't know, I got sidetracked after that. Let's... So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on a little bit. Uh, some other some other concepts that we want to talk about: uh, milk versus solid food. What about God's law? Is that milk or solid food? Depends on your understanding of it. Okay. Depends on again. I think I'm saying basically the same thing. Um, milk or solid food? I heard milk. Solid. I, I have to tell you, in my opinion, it's milk. If and I'll tell you why. If if we have a misunderstanding about God's law, then everything else that we intake, everything else that we eat, uh, is um, going to give us indigestion. Do what? Highly tainted. Tainted botulism. Yes. If if we misunderstand God's law. we will more than likely misunderstand the reliability of the Bible. And if we misunderstand God's law as being a, a, um, a revelation of his character, then the, we, will, we will choose to see God as a capricious, arrogant, manipulative bully, as opposed to a loving parent who's trying to uh, guide a wayward child in the path of the, their they should go, as the God of the Old Testament was, uh, is, or is portrayed. Is portrayed. What about the, uh, what about the Sabbath? Is that uh, milk or solid food? Heard milk. It grows on us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it grows on us. All right. Yes. Seems like when you take this this comparison back to diet, when we're talking about milk or solid food, you know, a lot of solid food contains the same components of milk. I think if we're going to be studying God's character for eternity, all of these things are going to be both milk and solid food. So it's kind of hard for me to distinguish in my mind. I think the Sabbath is milk. But I think the beauty and the complexity and the, the revelation God gave us is also, through the Sabbath is also something that would come about as solid food. 
because the Sabbath is a beautiful, simple thing to incorporate into your life. But the more you understand about God's character, the more beautiful the revelation that came out of Sabbath is. So, I agree, and and I, that was the that was ultimately the conclusion that I came to is that um, all of these concepts, uh, the reliability of the Bible, Christ's mission, God's character, our character, Sabbath, state of the dead, dietary restrictions, second coming of Christ, God's law, sin, heaven and hell, destruction of the wicked, and the heavenly and earthly sanctuaries. Um, could be either. I, what's the, what, what is the absolute, am I, okay, in my opinion, the absolute milk the first thing that needs to be uh, dealt with is the character of God. Because if, if we build, build on the solid foundation that, that God is love, which we talked about first thing in here, then all of these other concepts will tend to fall into place, and they can be either milk or solid food, or a, a veritable feast. If we build on the foundation that God's mostly love, unless you disobey Him. Then, then everything else uh, may taste like honey to begin with, but turn to ashes in our mouth. Well, I, everything that you mentioned it starts out as milk, and then as we grow, like you were saying, as as it grows, there's more and more solid food there. So it just gets more and more. You can just go deeper and deeper. Not that it gets more complex, but it just gets. I think that the deeper you go, the easier things get. So. If, if we understand it more, it just opens everything up, and it's, it's more solid food. So it starts out as milk, and then it grows to solid food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I look at it, it seems that like Paul's frustration with the people that he was working with is because they wouldn't go beyond the very beginning. He'd have to keep going back and reiterating these essential beginning things. He could never get them past that point to think about these more important, more wonderful, beautiful things of the character of God because he's still stuck talking about, hey, you've got to keep Sabbath, you've got to do this, and yeah, the Bible's reliable, and all these things, instead of moving on beyond that. He's saying, hey, wake up. This is a nice segue. Uh, in Hebrews 11... Um... Paul kind of gives us an idea of what he thinks is milk and what uh, is more solid food. Uh, Hebrews 11, oh, excuse me, 5, 5, 11 through 6, 3. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So apparently, teachings about righteousness, he classifies as more solid food. Uh, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So a discernment between good and evil, he would consider solid food. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. God permitting, we will do so. So according to him, the dietary restrictions, um, the repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, resurrection. the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, these are all, these are all elementary truths. These are milk. Yes, Carla. My thought about that is that um, 
God has to have a beginning place, so he might tell us, you know, straighten up and eat right so that you have a clear mind so that I can tell you some big things here. <laughs> you know? I mean, he has to have us in a place where we're sitting down, we're sensible, we're ready to listen before he can actually tell us anything that's going to change our lives. That's, that's certainly fair. And, you know, the, as our understanding is that the, the laws of health um, were created just along, right along with the, the laws of love, or they, they're an emanation of God's character, I should say, is a better way to put it. They, we were created in harmony with the existing laws of health uh, for our benefit, just like we were created in harmony with the law of giving, the law of liberty, the law of love, the law of worship, physical laws. All those things are uh, evidence and revelatory about the character of God. And Paul considers them milk. Also in John 16, um, this is 12 through 16, this is Christ talking to his disciples. I have much more to say to you, more than you can hear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is is me, excuse me, it is from me that that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he has made known to you. Again, Christ is, Christ is wanting to tell his, wanting to feed his disciples solid food. Their, their brains and their characters and their hearts weren't ready. They were still subsisting on milk. About in our class so many times before when we tell our children when they're really really young you either brush your teeth or you're going to be punished that's milk mm-hmm. solid food is when your children grow up and say you know what I want to be a dental hygienist I right. want to be a dentist I want to learn more about this I grasp that part and I want to develop on beyond that so I think like Carlo was saying early on God was just trying to keep us from destroying ourselves that was milk right Solid food was when you get past the point of wanting to destroy yourself. Solid food is really deepening your understanding of reality. Well said. Yes, sir. Um, Back to the validity of the Bible, I think that whether something is true or not is not necessarily something that we're going to use to live our lives. Because if you look at history and how it's determined to be fact by primary and secondary witnesses, it doesn't mean that we're going to take out our history textbook and use that to um, determine how we're going to make decisions in our own life. But the validity of the Bible is experientially established by accepting God's diagnostic guidance and letting the Spirit transform us through God's Word, I believe. Okay, thank you. Tuesday's lesson, Testing Truths. These, uh, when I first read Testing Truths, I thought, oh yeah, we should be testing truths, but the, the lesson's talking about truths that test us. Um, for example, when uh, Christ presented to all of his disciples, and not just the twelve, but all of the ones that were following him, the concept of, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, this is in John 6, 53, Jesus said to them, Very, Verily I said to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Uh, and you guys can read the rest of the passage. The, the lesson suggests that the disciples heard this message. They understood it, but many uh, many of them rejected it. I'm, I'm not so sure that many that heard it understood it, because uh, I don't think there are many that hear it today that understand it. Any other thoughts? Very true on that. The three different components. You were talking about the atheist who mm-hmm. rejects God as the bully. And then the uh, element of um, whether or not there's validity in the Bible. And then there was a, a comment that she had from uh, a, uh, one who typed in about um, the marginalization of the, uh, the character of God. I don't remember that exactly. Scripture all, being nominal. All of these the three come down to whether they are able to see in others the true character of God. And if they've truly encountered someone who reflects that, then I would think that their perceptions may be very different. And here you're talking about, uh, um, I'm sorry, I lost the train of thought on the last comment, but it all comes down to whether individuals are truly reflecting and living that character of God. And and, uh, the point the gentleman made about the Bible only being a conduit, that the Holy Spirit then coming through, and making that change and, and the, the alterations in the person to bring them wholeness. I think it's one of your foundational components. Can, can we think of any other uh, testing truths that we might encounter? Any, any in, your own, in your own life, any truths that you've encountered in your own life that have tested and, and refined and you maybe struggled with? Any truth that comes across our behavior and our natural inclinations are testing truths for us. Because if, okay. if we cling to anything other than sacrificing our will to, to God and saying, God, I'm all in, you know, whatever it is, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Anything that comes between that. And, you know, Christ used the illustration of family. He used the illustration of wealth. He used mm-hmm. the illustration of... of other commands and whatnot, but anything that that comes between us and we say no, that is more important than my walk with God, then that is a testing truth for me. Whether it's trivial to someone else, it's it's a testing truth for me. I couldn't have said it better. Well done. All right, I think we're right about eleven twenty. Um, let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the insight that you have given us through nature, through your word, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, uh, the insight to to your character, the insight to uh, your law, uh, the insight to the insight to our characters, and and how much uh, we need the transforming and uh, renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Please uh, give us a greater measure of that spirit. Please continue to mold and shape our characters so that like Christ, so when he comes again, we can stand ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for your input.